Here are two gospel readings that you've never heard on Palm Sunday before. In uh, Luke 13, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And in Luke 19, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that made for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is the word of the Lord. It's a very great privilege for me to be invited again to uh, visit with you and to think with you about the gospel. I am sorry to be missing Joe, and we'll hope he has quick recovery, but it is a tribute to Nina and to Kathy and to their uh, staff uh, colleagues that things go on, and uh, I am so glad to be uh, with them. Walking down the aisle with all those children waiting prom branches, it, it occurred to me it must have been like that. It must have been a wonderful day with these big crowds standing on the curb of the street. And I imagine that Jesus loved it and that he smiled and he waved to the crowd. And I imagine the disciples loved it and smiled and waved to the crowd. And I imagine the donkey loved it, did not wave, but smiled the way donkeys smile as they all heard the crowd saying, Hosanna, save us, save us from Rome, save us from exploitation, save us from the economy that squeezes the life out of us. But did you know that Palm Sunday is also called Passion Sunday, which means Suffering Sunday? I suspect we do that because so many people don't go to church on Good Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, so you have to talk about the suffering, and this is the day. So if you looked closely at the crowd, if you looked over the shoulders of the crowd, over the shoulders of the children that were waving palm branches, 
you could see men in trench coats with walkie-talkies. And if you looked up one story, you could see in the window men in dark suits with dark glasses looking down. And probably there were cops through the crowd sent there by the Roman authorities. The Roman authorities, represented by the governor, did not want anything disturbed. And they knew this was a dissenter who had come to town. They no doubt said, we didn't have any trouble here till these outsiders came and stirred up trouble. That's what they always say. He came from Galilee. And in the New Testament, Galilee is not only a territory, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of being an outsider, of being forgotten, being a part of the small agricultural community that was being taxed so that the people in the city could live well. So Jesus came into the city and he represents a contrast to this concentration of the media gathered around the temple and its learned lawyers, whom he calls scribes, and the monopoly of money in the city and imagination to match the money. So present that day with the parade were crowd control and surveillance and attentiveness to the danger of civic disorder. The crowds did not notice the trench coats and the dark suits. They were too exuberant. But you can figure they were there. So Jesus, with his little company, rides into the city. It's a royal city that knows all about pageants. It's David's city. It's the city where the Messiah was to come. It's a city of wealth and power and influence and propaganda. It's a city of boiling tensions even today. This Jerusalem with Jews and Christians and Muslims. It was Jerusalem, but it could have been any city. It could have been Louisville. It could have been Cincinnati where I live because economically and politically all cities are about the same. They're places of learning with universities, though we do not know whether the University of Jerusalem had a basketball team. They are cities of media attention and advertising, home to big banks and huge concentrations of wealth and power. And almost every city has those who are left behind, who are numerous and visible. They're out on the streets and they are without resources. And the left behind worry the city establishment so there are endless arguments about what to do with them, about whether to feed them or to house them or to transport them away and keep them out of sight. The city exaggerates the differences between the haves and the have-nots. The city is the place where everything is overstated and everything comes into the, the extreme, and he came there. So I imagine that Jesus loved the buzz of the city. I imagine that he noticed the surveillance because he was street smart. And I imagine that the disciples are nervous. They are glad for the parade, but they know there's trouble behind the parade. Jesus is always arriving in the city. Jesus is always going head-to-head -head with the established powers. <clears throat> 
Jesus is always bringing good news to those who are left behind in the city. Jesus is always working around the edges of power among those who thought they would never be challenged. So he came into the city and he began to upset the city. So have you wondered what it was, what it was like for Jesus and his disciples to walk into this conundrum of power and tension and poverty? In Luke 13, the Pharisees, it turns out the Pharisees are kind of his friends and they want to protect him. They say, you better get out of town because Herod the king wants to kill you. This is a pretty ominous warning because this Jewish king did the bidding of Rome and Rome wanted him sidelined. And Jesus says, go tell that fox. That's what he calls the king, that fox. Tell him I got three days work to do and I'm going to do it, casting out demons and performing cures. Tell him that I am going to do that even if I have to die. I will not stop my transformative work because I care about this city. And then he speaks to the city, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He speaks a lament. He addresses the city in sadness because the city kills the prophets and stones the messengers sent by God. The city skews justice and hinders truth-telling artists and sorts out people into deserving and undeserving slots. It is a city that does not welcome second opinions or alternative voices. And he is sad because he knows this city is engaged in self-destruction. And so he addresses the priests and the scribes and the kings and the money men. And he says to the city, why do you engage in self-destruction? How often I would have gathered you in to safety and well-being, but you wouldn't do it. You didn't want well-being and unity and safety. What you wanted was greed, not neighborliness. Oh, Jerusalem. And then we are told in Luke 19, when he came near the city, he wept over the city. He wept over it because he loved it. He says, if, if you had considered the things that make for shalom, but the way you've acted now, all of that is impossible for you. You've hid it from your eyes. This city that would execute him and refuse peace and refuse prophetic voices and refuse justice. But he stayed three days. He stayed Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday to do his work. Now I know that this struggle in old Jerusalem has nothing to do with you and it doesn't have anything to do with me. Except that we're all city people. Our city is not Jerusalem. Our city on the Ohio could be Louisville or Cincinnati where I live. But what's going on here is that Jesus loved the city. He loved the city enough to cry for it. 
He wanted them to see the city the way it was. He wanted to heal the city. He stayed there at risk to do his ministry. And because he loved the city, he wept over it because he knew big trouble was coming to this city. And what I think is that what goes on with Jesus in that city is what goes on with Jesus' people and this city. So consider, he loved the city enough to stay there. He didn't run, so the church's ministry is to the city, to the public life, to the public policy, to the public possibility of the city. The church is not simply a priest to individual persons, but it is a witness of the great public issues, the sort of thing that goes on at Highland Baptist all the time. He stayed. He wept. He wept because he knew what was happening. He saw the destructive power of greed and fear and exclusion. He saw that the city in its concentration of wealth and power was a venue for despair and exclusion. So we are called to see the city. We are called to weep for it, to see the city the way it really is and not to believe the propaganda to tell the truth about the city and not to be blinded by the scribes or the priests or the king. Enough to cry. He stayed. He wept. He cast out demons. He not only willed it well, but he acted to make it well. Demons are those forces that cause us to act against our own best interest. And we can name some of the demons in the city. Forces such as sexism and slave trade that goes on around the Derby. And racism and exploitative money that keeps people hopelessly in debt. And what he knew is that no city can have peace and well-being as long as it is occupied by sexism or racism or exploitative economics or a debtor class or foolish, absurd laws like the one Indiana just passed across the river. And he cast out the demons. He stayed. He wept. He cast out demons. He performed cures in the city. I often think how hopeless the city would be if it weren't for the witness of the church. Because the church is the engine for forgiveness and generosity and reconciliation and second chances. The church is an agent for forgiveness of debts Forgiveness of failures, forgiveness of poverty, forgiveness of the refusal to care. And Jesus is into that. He used what he had left of his life before his execution to work transformations. So he stayed, 
He wept. He cast out demons. He performed cures. And he said, I would gather you all together in a common good. But of course, most cities are organized to sort people out by race or by class or by money. But he would gather them all to a common good because he knew that the city would work best when all are gathered to a common good that overrides fear and greed and anxiety and exclusion. So I am the tail end of the Sundays in Lent. So your pastor wrote me about that. We'd be doing love this and love that and love that. And I got the hardest when I got love the city, for God's sake. (laughs) So the news is that Jesus loved old Jerusalem. He loved old Jerusalem with a demanding love And he stayed there to work his will for peace and justice and well-being. So one of the projects you might take on this week is to think through what it means to be a church of the baptized in the city. What it means to stay there. What it means to weep there when you see the city the way it really is what it means to cast out demons in the city, what it means to cause cures of forgiveness in the city, what it means to gather a city that is all divided by race and class and money. It is no wonder that the ordinary people and the left behind and the children all gathered on the curb. It is no wonder that they all gathered there and they all said, Hosanna, save us. Because where Jesus comes, the city has a chance. He came to love the city, to weep, to tell the truth, and some parts of the city responded with Hosanna, Hosanna is hope. Hosanna is hope that overpowers fear. Hosanna is justice that that vetoes injustice. Hosanna is a possibility that comes after honest sadness. That was his work in the city. And it is our work. And the news is that where he comes the city has a chance. Where he comes, the city has a future. Where the church loves the city, the city has a second chance. So think about that. Hosanna is hope. Hosanna is hope that overrides fear. Hosanna is justice that vetoes injustice. Hosanna is gathering that ends all of the exclusions. It is his work. It is our work. It is the work of love that makes all things new.
And when they saw him, they said, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. That's what they said. Well, Dr. Brueggemann, thank you for that challenge. <laughs> challenge to be God's love and God's heart, God's passion in our city. We come to a time of invitation now, a time of response, either within our hearts in the pew there or coming to uh, ask to know this one that uh, Dr. Brueggemann talked about or to come and join with this community of faith that does seek to be a voice of love in our city. So we stand and we sing our faith. <laughs> 